want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4, and we want to start with verse 31 through 38. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 31. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. I like this next verse. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Did the delivery guy come from Pizza Hut? They didn't remember seeing anyone bringing. They didn't remember him bringing anything as well either. And I think their stomachs were growling and they were hungry and they figured he was. And they were just wondering, where are we going to go? We don't see any place to eat around here. In verse 34, then Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. They thought, they were hungry, and since he, he kind of transitioned from food over to the fields, they thought that the grain wasn't ripe yet. They had another four months. We still got time. And Jesus says, no, it's ripe. You just don't know it. It's ready for the reapers. You know what a reaper is? That's the harvester. Any of you ever harvest wheat or any other crops? Some of you have. Some of you have been living in California too long. Too many concrete streets and everything else. When the harvest is ready, man, that's all you've got on your mind is, I've got to get this grain reaped and into the bins. Nothing else has priority, let me tell you. I've even seen some farmers have their wives go get sick or have babies and are rushing to the hospital and the farmer's still out there on his combine cutting his wheat because he's got to get the wheat in. Seems kind of cruel, but that's what's on their mind. Now Jesus is talking and he says, you don't even know it, but the harvest is ready 
because there's already been those who have gone out and have sowed the grain. Brothers and sisters, our denomination has been sowing seed for year after year after year after year. Magazines have gone out. Pamphlets have been handed out. Literature evangelists have gone door to door. The, 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 the gospel has been presented. We, in, we are almost in every country of this world. Do you remember what Jesus says about this gospel? What's what? When it's preached to all the world, what will happen? Man, I want Jesus to come, don't you? And what he's saying is, is that, that his, his workers are sitting back and they're saying, oh, man, I've got, I got more time before I get to have to do anything. And Jesus says, uh-uh. The grain is already ripe. It's ready to be picked. I need some harvesters. I need someone to go out and to do something. I want you to look in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It says, After these things the Lord appointed seventy others and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvesters don't even know it's time to go out. And he says, I need some help. The grain's ripe. It's ready. Jesus says the gospel's to go into all the world. It, it has been going on for decade after decade. And now he's saying, the grain is ripe. Something has to be done. I need some harvesters. But you know what the harvesters are doing? They're just sitting. In fact, Jesus describes them in the book of Revelation. They're neither hot or cold. They don't even know they had any need for anything. They're just sitting in the churches. Entertain me. Keep me awake. Do something. And Jesus says, look, church, the church just before Jesus comes, the harvest is ready. You don't even know it. I've got people all over this community that are ready to come in to my household to be ready when Jesus comes. I've already been working on their hearts. They're already doing things. They're already saying, Lord, I don't quite understand these things. Please send somebody to help explain it to me. I need to know something. There's something that's not going right in this world, and something needs to change. Take a look how messed up our weather is. 
How'd you like that little sprinkle we had last night? This is not the time of the year that we get this type of a rain. And if you look at the weather map all over the United States, everything's all messed up. Some places are experiencing such heat and drought way up north that they've never experienced that much heat before. They don't even know what an air conditioner is. Now they wish they had one. Some places are flooding like you wouldn't believe. Things are, are all messed up and they're saying, what's going on? And they're going to God and they're saying, we want some answers. And, and there are people who have... have set out literature and they're finally picking up the literature. Talk to someone who says, you know, do you have any more of the signs of the times? By the way, we've got some back there. Take them. She says, what I do is I take them to the VA hospital and I just lay them out on the counter and then I, I sit back and I watch and watch people slipping them into their pockets. They're small and they can sneak them in and they're taking them home. That's the sower. But somehow they've got to get from their home to the church. That's where the harvesters come in. And Jesus says the, the harvest is ready, but I need the harvesters. I'm in need of the church that's ready to do something. Remember I told you last week about the union meetings where all the, from five states all the pastors or most of the pastors came and uh, we sat in on these meetings, and remember I showed you last week the picture of, of Bill McClendon from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's not a trained minister. He was a layman. He had his own business, and uh, he decided he was sitting in, in, in his church, in his home church, a nice big church in, in Tulsa, and he, he looked at his church, and he says, Man, this church is dead. We come on Sabbath morning, we sit through the church service, we might come on Wednesday evening, but that's about it. And the pastor, he's trying his best, he's out, he's trying to give Bible studies, and there's a few others that are trying to give Bible studies, but, but we're dead. And he looked at himself and he says, I'm dead. I'm not, I, I, I'd be what Jesus would call a, a lukewarm Christian. And you know what the lukewarm Christian was to Jesus? He said, I'd spew you out of my mouth, just like vomit. And so he said, I was ashamed of myself and ashamed of my church family because we were neither hot nor cold. Do you remember the desire of Jesus concerning his last day church? Go to Revelation 3, just to remind you. Revelation 3 and verse 15. Revelation 3 and verse 15. Jesus is saying to the church that's in existence, those who are following Jesus, he's saying to them, 3.15, I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. I wish you were one or the other. I don't like you lukewarm. 
I want you to be hot or cold. This reminds me of the story. Remember last week I, I talked to you about the other layman, Herb Larson, from, from British Columbia, Canada. And I remember I told you that, that God really has set him up with quite a ministry to reach atheists for Christ. And he says, it seems like everywhere I travel, the person that sits next to him when he's trying to study and get ready for whatever he's going to share, and he'll pull out his Bible, and the person sitting next to him says, oh, uh, I'm an atheist. And one man was told him that on an airplane, that he was an atheist and he didn't believe in God, and, and uh, Herb Larson turned to him and says, well, at least you're better than my church, than most of the members of my church. His eyes got big around, and he says, well, what do you mean? And he says, he pulls out his Bible, and he showed him Revelation 3, and he said to the atheist, you're not hot for God, so that must make you cold for God. And Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold, so you're in the right position. You're better off than my church, who's lukewarm, and is vomit to the mouth of Jesus. And that opened up the whole avenue for Herb to share with this guy. He wants to see their hot or cold. He wants harvesters. He wants hot harvesters. By the way, most of the time when you go out and cut the wheat, it's in the middle of the heat. And you're just sweating up a storm and then all that sticky dust that comes from the grain sticks to you. You come home at night itching all over and you can't wait to get a bath or a shower. That's what he wants. He wants a hot harvester. And he wants us to be ready for the harvest. Well, anyway, Bill McClendon, he began to look at these passages we just talked about. And he invited some of his church friends over to his house. And he shared with them some of these things. And they said, yeah, you know, we, we won't speak for the rest of the church, but we know for ourselves we're, we're kind of lukewarm. We're really not doing anything for God. We just come each week. And then they began to share, and they said, you know, there's something different going on in this world. We're seeing things on TV and on radio and everything else where the world is really beginning to talk more about spiritual things. And you can see that on the political debates that are having now. All of a sudden they're talking more and more about God, and, and people are beginning to ask more questions. And so he says, you know, even in things like Time Magazine and others, they're really getting more articles about Christianity and front page materials and trying to compare this with that religion and everything else. It seems like the subject of, of religion is on the minds of people. They just don't know where to go or how to go about seeking what to do about it. And so as they began to share, they started studying their Bible. And here's what they looked at. They first looked at Matthew. If you would turn to Matthew 8. Matthew 8 and verse 16. Now I'm sharing with you what Bill McClendon and his friends sitting in his living room 
They're opening up the Bible and they're saying, Lord, what, what do we do? We, we're lukewarm. We're really not much doing much of anything in the church. And uh, what are we going to do about it? So they turn to Matthew 8 and verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him, to Jesus, many who were demon-possessed. Look what Jesus did. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And they're sitting and what's this got to do with becoming hot for God? Well, they're saying, you know, it was Jesus who cast out or broke the hold of devils from these individuals who had been held captives for so long. And, and they said, how did he do it? He, he did it with his word. So Bill McClendon and his friends, looking at this, they said, we're, we're holding a power right here that can cast the hold of devils out of individuals' lives. Well, then they looked at another text in Matthew, Matthew 10. Matthew 10, beginning with verse 5, 5 through 8. Matthew 10, beginning with verse 5. These twelve, that's Jesus' disciples, that he sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather first to the lost sheep, of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it's near. Wow. Heal the sick, he says, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus was sending his disciples out into the community where they lived with the instructions that they are to go to the lost. They are to use his word to preach about the kingdom of heaven. They are to preach that the kingdom is at hand or it is near. Because of that preaching, great miracles, they are going to witness great miracles that are going to take place right before their eyes and the devil will lose his stronghold on the lost. They are to share with the lost how they were held by the devil, but they had been freely freed from the clutches of the devil and are now receiving blessings and miracles within their life from God. And because of that, they just wanted to share those same blessings with those in the community. Folks, that's what we're supposed to be sharing. That is the part of the harvest. I know what it's like to be in the clutches of the devil. I know what it's like to go through suffering and through pain and through hardships. I know what that's like. But let me share with you the miracle that the Lord has done for me. And they'll listen. And the clutches that the devil has on them will disappear. And so these people are sitting there and they're reading this and they're saying, man, this is something pretty good and exciting. So then they turn to Matthew chapter 12. 
Matthew 12 and verse 28. Matthew 12:28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The mighty kingdom of God that we're all expecting to come literally before long, when Jesus actually comes to take us to his kingdom, he's saying, you don't have to wait. A part of the kingdom of God can be with you right now. That should be exciting news to wake up the church. We've got the kingdom of God within our lives, within us right now. We're a part of that kingdom of God. We don't want to stay here. We, we've got a better place, but there are some people that are out there that don't know that the kingdom of God is near. And they won't know that until we begin to share, until we begin to do the harvest. You, you don't have to be controlled by the devil. You don't have to be under his clutches. But you can be controlled by a God of love, by a God of power, by a God of strength, and a God of miracles. And miracles will take place. And you're going to be a part of that. Boy, they were getting more excited by the moment as they read that. And then they turned to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Luke 10 and verse 17. Remember those 70 we read about that Jesus sent out? Told them to go, don't go into the other countries, don't worry about that, just go, go into your neighborhood. Well, look what it says, Luke 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned. They already went out. They returned. How did they return? With joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They came back not lukewarm. They came back with great joy. They were hot harvesters. And the reason is, is because they saw the people who were held captive by the devil being let go, and the kingdom of God was holding and grabbing onto them. Changes were taking place. Not only the changes were taking place with the lost, but the change was taking place with the harvesters. Do you want great joy in your life? If you want great joy, then you have to become a harvester, a hot harvester. You just can't sit in the pews. Jesus says, I'm going to send you out. Don't worry about Africa or don't worry about Korea. I've got people that I'm going to send out there. But look at our community. We've got people, he says, that are already right, that are already asking questions. They're already seeking for something. They're just waiting for the harvester to come. The kingdom of God is now. And we can receive that great joy. That's when this small group said and planned together, okay, 
they had talked to church members there, and the church member says, oh, we've heard that for years. We're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When it comes then we'll go out. And they're saying, but the harvest is ready right now. No, it's tough times. We've had evangelism before, and it's not working. By the way, there were pastors that were telling Bill McClendon, says, oh, we've had evangelism before. It doesn't work. No one comes. He says, wait a minute. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. Wait just a second. Those six families decided, well, what we're going to do is that we're going to break away from the mother church and start our own little church. And so six families broke away. They now have 500 members in their church and broke, and the Spirit of Prophecy says when you reach about 500, you are to break off and start new churches. They broke off and started new, two new churches since then. Within a matter of just a few years. And so when he heard these pastors saying, well, we, we, we can't do anything, you know, evangelism is dead, no one ever comes, you know. It, it's too difficult in our communities, you don't understand, it's tough. He says, tough? What university is famous in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Oral Roberts University. They're in the Bible Belt. You see flashing neon signs, and these are churches that are saying, come to my church. He says, tough. He said what they discovered was that the emphasis for their church was going to be on being harvesters in evangelism. That's the main thrust of their church. In the three churches now, the 500-member church, the mother church is still there. There are other Adventist churches in Tulsa. But this church now that they started, that they planted, and the two others then that they planted off since then, between the three churches, and by the way, he's now the pastor. He doesn't have any training. He, has, he says, I, I don't know anything from Greek to Hebrew to anything else. All I know is that Jesus says that the harvesters are few, and so that's what we decided to do was to harvest. And we're going to keep harvesting until Jesus finally comes and says, it's finished. They hold 10 to 15 evangelistic series per year in the three churches. They will hold an evangelistic series and before it's over with, they're sending out brochures. And sometimes they said it's the same brochure. They send it out before the first one is finished. Out into the same community, to the same places. And they says, well, what about the success? Well, the success, he says, is up to the Lord. We're just to be the harvesters. He says, sometimes we won't all have five baptisms. Sometimes we may have 75 baptisms. He says, we're not counting the baptism. He just says to go out with the harvesters and to reap what God has already sown, what's already been sown in the community. He says, you think that people are so naive that when they receive a brochure in the mail with a funny-looking beast on the front of it, that they don't know it's a Seventh-day Adventist church? They know. 
They're not dummies that are out there in the community. They know, because we're really about the only ones that sends out brochures, inviting them to come. They know that. But sometimes it takes more than one brochure before someone comes. Or sometimes the people come to the meetings, but they don't respond to baptism. They don't want to join yet. But they get another brochure in the mail, and they said, Hey, we enjoyed that first one so much, we're going to go back and listen to them again. And they come back. And he says, we've got some of them that will come to maybe three or four meetings. The same messages that are preached each time. But it takes them that long to say, I'm going to take a stand for God. And they're ready. They also notice something else. When the church works in the harvesting, they found the church members are actually talking to the strangers that are coming in. And he said, you know, I had a problem with that. I didn't want to talk to anybody when I came in. I had enough with the public when I was in business. But he says that we began to communicate and made friends. And so when they came back three or four times, who was waiting at the door to greet them? Well, John Smith. Man, I haven't seen you in three weeks. That was when the last time they came. And they sit together and they talk. And they're friends. The church grew. And they always wanted to know what the secret was. And this, he says the secret is the church that is determined to stay together and to be the harvesters. They said, oh, we know what you did. Since you planted new church, you changed the style of your worship. You've heard that, haven't you? You've gone with more contemporary music. You have a lot of drama. You know, you, you do a lot of different things. He said, no. Our, our church, when we started, we got the old black church hymnals. And we sing the same old songs. We didn't change anything in our worship style. We just decided to go out and work. And he says, here's one of the reasons why we didn't change. He shared with us the statistics from the North American Division School of Evangelism, where they're teaching evangelism at the seminary. They went out and they did a study with all the churches because there is a big, huge thing in changing the style of worship and also taking the name Seventh-day Adventist and dropping off the name and just saying Beaumont Community Church or something like that. So they made a study on these churches, because it hasn't been just overnight. This has been going on for a while. And they looked at these churches that have developed. And here's what they discovered. Changing the worship style, changing the music, changing the things, they actually saw a decline in church growth. And a lot of the decline that happened 
were the older church members. Now, I can ask my treasures who are here in this church and ask them a question. Of all the money that comes into the church, and they see it all, just age-wise, who gives the most to the church, especially for like evangelism or the actual operation of the church? I won't even say the tithe, but just their offerings for the church, for the local church. They will tell you that it comes from our older church members. Praise the Lord for that. What they discovered is when you begin to change the style, the life, the the worship style, the older members go. And what are they looking for? They're looking for the church who worships the way we've been worshiping. And they're coming in, and those little churches who are keeping the church style, they're getting the money. The churches who change their style of worship are crying to the conferences and crying to the unions and crying to the general conference, we want more money. And they're even going so far now as the trend to bring on what's called a congregational form of worship, which basically means that instead of paying tithe like we normally have, that's going into the conference and then to the unions and general conference, they're instructing their church, pay the tithe only to the church. We're going to keep the money here. That goes contrary to the Bible, contrary to the spirit of prophecy, and contrary to the way that we do things. And eventually, some of those churches break off from the denomination and actually start their own denomination. No outreach, really, to speak of. No supporting of missions. No supporting of anything else. So who's hurting? What should we do? They says, well, you probably have then, if you didn't change your life, your worship style, you probably only have just older members there. And he says, no, we've got them all ages. They don't mind singing the old hymns. In fact, they say, this is nice music. It helps soothe us. It helps comfort us. No drums, no loud music, no Christian rock. Only rock of ages cleft for me, he said. That's their Christian rock. After a lot of prayer, after that meeting, I I really got on my knees and I said, Lord, what do you want us to do here? I don't care what happens in Tulsa. I praise the Lord that you've got a church that's really working. But what about here? This is where the grain is ripe. This is when the harvest really begins for us. I went to the finance committee and then I went to the church board. And I says, this is what the Lord impresses upon me. And I shared with you a little last week. That in 2008... 
we're going to have three evangelistic meetings. Now, I've never been able to figure out since I've been here in this church because my wife will t testify to the fact that in all my other churches, we have always had an evangelist or someone that has come in and has done evangelism. But for some reason or other, it's not because I haven't asked, but either something has blocked the evangelist from coming or whatever has taken place. But we really, the six years I've been here, have not had a what you would really call a structured, structured evangelistic. And it's not because I, I planned it that way. But I think the Lord is trying to get his church to come to a realization is now is the time because the grain is ripe and ready. And so we're going to hold three evangelistic series. The first one, they're all going to be in conjunction with Operation Global Rain. Remember I shared with you a few weeks ago that in Operation Global Rain, there will be three times next year that we're going to meet together again in our homes, ten times again in great prayer. First time that's going to take place, the first of the year, is going to be an emphasis on our inactive members. If you take a look at our church membership, we have a membership of getting close to 300. Now, look at the church. If we had 300, we'd be so full in here if they all attended. We'd have to go to two church services. I'm ready to do that, by the way. But we've got to get more people. So that means there's a lot of individuals that are on our books that claim to be members of this church. A lot of them still live in this area that are not coming to church. And so we're going to be praying for those individuals. We're going to be visiting those individuals. We're going to then prepare to invite them to come. And what we're going to have, and I know that it starts next week, but I've kind of postponed it, with Doug Batchelor's meetings is going to come across on the satellite that is geared for inactive members. We're going to use that material then the first of the year, probably in February or March. That'll give us time to, to prepare the people and get them ready. By the way, I'm going to ask the other churches in the area to send to us names of individuals in their church that live in our areas because we've got a lot of inactive members from a lot of the churches in the area that live right here that have moved here because of the building explosion that are not going to church. We want them to come back. And so that's the first emphasis. Then a little later on, there's going to be the second time that we're going to meet together and ten days of prayer, and we're going to be praying, and that emphasis is to be able to begin to look at evangelism. And we're going to then hold a David Asherick video series. Remember, he was at, at Loma Linda not long ago, and tremendous things. Paul says, man, when I listen to him, even Paul learns. That's pretty good. That's what we want. Then in the fall, there's another series of Operation Global Rain, and then it's really focusing on our community, and we're going to invite one of the conference evangelists to come in for a big, full-fledged, hoop-hollering, up-and-down, Bible-thumping evangelistic series with an evangelist. The problem is this. Jesus says, 
crop is ready, but the harvesters are few. I can't do it by myself. I've got to have a church that is going to help plan and structure and visit and participate. You've got to be a church that's hot for God. Are you willing? I mean, if you're not willing, let me know. And we'll just stop and sing a few hymns and have a great time and say, Lord, I know we're vomit to your mouth, but we sure enjoyed every dripping moment of it. Oh, we're going to work together. But it's up to you. Like I said, I can't do it. Paul and I can't do it. Just the elders and I can't do it. It has to be everybody. We've got to work this. But three evangelistic meetings in a year? I've already got the doctrines all set out. I know all the things. It's not what you know. It's what you're going to share. It's what you're going to... You've got to be hot and say, this is what the Lord's done for me. When we begin to see these people and, and visit with them, you're going to share with them, the Lord has given to me a fantastic life and has worked miracles in my life. That's what they want to hear. If they want to hear doctrine, they can go to any church. A few of them that have any doctrines left. But they don't... They want to hear, okay, I, I don't mind the doctor. I don't mind the Sabbath. I don't mind any of that. What has it done for you? Will it make a difference? That's what they want to know. It's time the harvest begins. If you're willing, take your hymnal. Turn to hymn number 367. And let's sing Rescue the Perishing, 367. Shall we stand together as we sing? Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. We for the erring one, lift up the fallen, Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Though they are sliding him, still he is waiting. Waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. 
Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Rescue the perishing, duty demanded, strength for the that we're going to use in this coming year. When your word goes back, it never comes back void. Something is going to happen, and it will be some of the greatest miracles that we will have ever witnessed within our lives. One of the miracles is going to be the financing. The $5,000 that we have in our evangelism fund is not anywhere near enough, for one meeting, let alone three. We pray, Lord, the God who owns everything. You have promised that if we are faithful, the treasure, the windows of the treasure house of heaven will be opened and many blessings will pour. We pray for that to take place. As we seek to save the lost, it is not us that will be working. It will be your power working through us. We will give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise as your miracle reaches out because we want to go to heaven today. In Jesus' name, amen.